Welcome to The Jest, the official podcast of Infinite Jest Theatre Company. I am your host, Colette Rutherford. Today's guest is Infinite Jest Company member, actor, singer-songwriter, and filmmaker, Doug Mattingly. Doug has been a member of Infinite Jest since 2015, and you may have seen him in our productions of Five Women Wearing the Same Dress or George Bernard Shaw's Major Barbara. Doug has also been seen on stage locally at the Westchester Playhouse, Eclectic Theatre Company, and Little Fish Theatre Company. You may also have seen him on film in The Escape Artist, Back to Zero, or Listening. Welcome, Doug. Thank you, Colette. Ah, my pleasure. Great to see you, virtually see you. <laughs> virtually, yes, that's true. We haven't seen each other in person in a, a year. year. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you start by telling people how we met? We met doing a production, a strange updated-ish production of Don Juan at Archway Theater in downtown LA when it was down there. And yeah, that was that was the beginning of a long productive theater relationship that went from there to Cantwood to, uh, it, well, even, uh, even Little, Little Fish, Fish. Yeah. where we were actually I th- working on the last production before it closed. Dead Man's Cell right, Phone. Yeah. Right. Where I, I'm the sound designer for that show and you were props. I did prop design and I assistant directed. Yes. I'm just going to correct you. When you say updated Don Juan, that was set in Antebellum South. So it came forward (laughs) a couple hundred years, but not not too far. (laughs) Right. I think I I said updated-ish. Yeah. I actually, I forgot that it was, it was that. And yeah, there was a Confederate flag on the wall. And some really lovely Southern accents going on. Yeah. yeah well we've moved we've moved upward since oh thankfully so very thankfully for people who may only be familiar with you as an actor you hold a master's degree in music from the university of southern california and as i mentioned earlier you are a singer songwriter plus you teach various music courses at the American Music and Drama Academy, or AMDA, here in Los Angeles. How old were you when you started playing guitar? 11, I believe. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I remember, actually, I remember when I first had the inkling, my friend and I used to walk around the neighborhood, he's a friend from school, and listen to a cassette recorder. It wasn't even a boombox, it was a Radio Shack <laughs> cassette that you were supposed to it was a voice thing but we would listen to pink floyd the wall tape and i think acdc dirty deeds done dirt cheap and i said to him one day you know wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool to play guitar and he said uh yeah i guess <laughs> i don't think he ever went and i i, I remember i walked i walked into in the house i asked my parents if i could play and they wisely rented me an acoustic guitar from the local uh, music shop to start. Yeah, I took to it right away. So eventually I got my own acoustic and then I got my first electric guitar. And I was in, uh, once I got to high school, I was in the high school big band and then then went off to school to USC to, to do my undergrad, actually. That's what got me to LA. I'm originally from Maryland. And how old were you when you wrote your first song? 
Oh gosh, probably probably the same age if you want to call it writing a song. Every time they would show me something, <laughs> every time they more would like sh- a dirty limerick, knowing you. <laughs> that would be a, a good assumption, but but I would just write musical. I mean, every time they'd show me anything in the guitar lesson, I would go home and try to write something with it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think right. I mean, it's you know, I I do remember like looking at that like that first little sketchbook that I had when I was probably eleven or twelve and literally like, oh here here's how you play a C at the first fret of the second string and I mean I had six notes available to me but I was trying to do something. And I I remember finding that when I was a little bit older, finding that little sketchbook and looking at it and it's like this is just not this is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I mean writing was was always something that was was interesting to me. And obviously continues to be. And when did you start acting? Well, actually, I'd say I was doing this in, in one way or another, e- even as a kid, just like everybody else was doing it. You know, I went to a, um, a Catholic high school, or Catholic, well, I did go to Catholic high school, but a Catholic uh, elementary school, middle school. We would put on productions of Bible stories. And yeah. we the, the woman who put these on decided and probably wisely that it would be best if we just did it as mimes. So <laughs> we did, we did a creation story and I played God as I often do mm-hmm, to this mm-hmm. day, but no, I'm kidding. Addressed uh, as, dressed as a full on um, mime with a beret. Oh and black God. Striped shirt. <laughs> well, more of a seventies America, uh, American <laughs> mime with rainbow suspenders and of course nice. the white glove. Mm. I don't remember if I had a beret or not. There is a photo of it. <laughs> and then uh and then funny enough, when we were in eighth grade, they you know, they were gonna do the Easter oh like you know, the Easter Passion play or whatever. And it was mostly gonna be narrated, but we were gonna act it out. And the same woman who did that wanted us to do uh mime again. And they wanted me to play Jesus, of course. So yes. I said, uh, <laughs> of course. So I said, <laughs> so I said, no, no with the mind, no, with, no, no mind makeup. We're done with that. And they said, well, I'm, that's too bad. We're going ahead. And they cast another guy as Jesus. And I was Pontius Pilate. So that was nice. I got to play the villain. But then they decided to strike the mind makeup after all. And I was like, come on, I could have been Jesus. But anyway, I got my first shot at a villain. So that was good. Right. <laughs> so I was actually, I mean, I've I, I been, you know, that was, you know, the kind of acting experiences everybody has as a kid. But um, I made a couple short films during high school. And then um, when I got to USC, I was, I actually took theater classes. And it wasn't a major or anything, but I just took them kind of as electives. And I got into some of the USC short films from some of those film students. So I was, it was something I was interested in all along. And, and then kind of, as I got into like my mid and late 20s, I was living in LA and I had a couple experiences where some casting director said, hey, you look like you could be a good bad guy. Would you like to audition for this film? I was like, okay. So I show up with a, a headshot that was made, you know, I got a, holding a guitar in my hand and stuff. But that's kind of how it, it started. And as I did my singer songwriter thing, acting was kind of always part of the plan. You know, when I came out of, when I was in high school thinking about going to college, I really did like acting, but I didn't have a lot of opportunities to be on a stage to do it. Matter Mm -hmm. of fact, one of the reasons I didn't was I played baseball in high school. And the way my high school did it was this fall when I was available was a musical. And at that time, I was terrified of singing 
at all. And you have such a um, lovely I voice. Actually, no, well, thank you. But I, when I was 11, going back to 11, when I picked up the guitar, I got kicked out of the grade school choir and was told, and I had to go do self-study geography for a year or whatever it was. But I guess something musical wanted to happen. That's a, a, kind of when I picked up the guitar. So that experience made me terrified of singing. And so I just told me, I, I can't, I can't sing. I can't do this. So I definitely wasn't going to do that. But come spring is when they did the drama, but I was playing baseball. So yeah. I never really, so going into college, it was like, well, I'd like to pursue that, but I don't have any strong practical experience other than my little short films I had made. I mean, oddly enough, I know it's like one art or the other, but there was a practical element to my decision. And I thought, well, as a musician, I can be an entrepreneur. You know, I can make a living with my hands. I can, which is, is accurate. But I also didn't consider, oh, you know, if you're an actor, there are other people putting shows on that you can be in. You don't have to do all the heavy lifting yourself. You can go right. and audition. But, you know, whatever. I was 17. What did I know about, <laughs> about any of these things? But I, uh, you know, packed my bags and, and uh, went off to school to L.A. eventually. But even as I was doing my singer-songwriter thing, I, the, the hope was that, okay, well, this will break and then it'll give me some opportunities with acting. Your brother, Ian, is also an artist and you two yes. founded Mattingly Brothers Films and your father... Mattingly, Mattingly Boys. Boys, Boys, actually, yeah. Films. And your father appeared on screen with you in your yes. film, Hit the Hitman. Is anyone else in your family a theater person or an actor? Uh, no, and there's really not too many musicians either. You know, my father, he started his, I know he he studied, he did some, some productions as he, as he was, and he started community college, then went to a state college, and ultimately did his master's at Catholic University, which is known to have a fine theater program. But he started there as a philosophy major and then ended up with a master's in screenwriting. He has been the, the, the or actually playwriting, I'm sorry, but he's written screenplays. But talk about our collaborations, we did one called Grand Crew, which is a short film that my father wrote, and he was actually in. Of course, he wrote, his, wrote himself in there, and uh, I was in it, and then my uh, my brother shot it, directed it, and this is often the case. I do most, if not all, the post stuff, edit it, and then do all the – anything has to do with sound, that's my department as well. It so often is, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are an excellent sound designer, though. Well, thank you. When it comes to uh, post in uh, – in films, you're talking about doing a dialogue edit, right? Talking about the sound edit, which is for me all is, is sound effects, is doing the foley and mixing all that stuff, and then composing the score. And I got into picture editing too, and it's one of these things. And all of this stuff has kind of been just being an, an art, an artist in the modern digital era, where you know I, I first made my first short film here in LA. That was not my first short film, but one that was considered more professional level that I was because I wanted a certain kind of some things in my, for my reel that I didn't have some kind of roles for my reel. Actually, I went and took a semester of a uh, film class. I learned about coverage and different shots and these kind of things and wrote a scene, <clears throat> wrote a scene and, and did that. And so kind of how it's happened. I've written multiple screenplays now and shorts and just I'm learning as I go. I, I, the film editing started 
during my singer-songwriter thing when I was trying to, you know, I was making videos. What has been your favorite theater experience, production, or role? Ooh, that's tough. I would say Major Barber was really great for me at Infinite Jest and Dead Accounts, real, real, which was at Little Fish that went up in 2018. That one, just because it was such a dynamic role, a lead character, full, fully fleshed arc, you know, all that beautiful modern writing. And then the other, I mean, it's Major Barber, the way my uh, Branda, my wife directed that was she double cast the, the upper class folks with the working class folks or the, the Cockney folks. And so we all got to, most of us got to play two characters. I mean, to me, the, my, the greatest compliment was when people would come to that show and say, oh, I thought Doug was going to be in this show. And they didn't realize that I was actually in it we right. doing, doing two different characters. Or they didn't realize, like, that you were one of the characters. They tended to, like, not realize that it was you as, like, Lomax or you as your working class bad bloke character. Like, there was, they right. didn't seem to realize that you were playing both parts. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was fun because Lomax was is such a comedic character, and mm-hmm. Bill Walker, which was the other, is such a heavy dramatic character. Yes, yes, he was a real mm-hmm. uh, wanker to use the colloquialisms yeah. of the show. Yeah, you put it nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a dream role? You know, I don't. I don't. I know a lot, I, and it's it's largely because I. Uh, God, I, I, it, you know, I don't. I, other than it, weirdly, I, if there is one, it, it is, it is the Scarlet Pimpernel. It's Percy from the Scarlet Pimpernel, which oh, is a musical. Yes. So much fun, and, though. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing: is I love music. I love theater. I love to watch musical theater, but I've never actually done musical theater myself. I'm not, you know, my voice is not trained for that. I'm sure I, I have a feeling that if I spent some time, I could pull that off but it's a whole it's a different technique it's a different tone to get but you know that's it would would be a bit in the distance but that would be a dream the thing that's a little frustrating for me about theater especially as a sound designer it goes into the ether show closes it doesn't exist anymore it's true and i know that that's the nature of it but it's it's a little you know i like when when i'm doing sound design for uh for theater and, you know, you, you, you know, scene fades up and you've got crickets and wind and a rainstorm or whatever it is. As a film person, that those sound effects go through the whole scene. But in theater, you, you, set, it, you set it up and then you fade them out. And I just want to keep them going. <laughs> but it's weird. <laughs> but if you did that in theater, it's, it is weird. You know, the, the, the conventions of, of both mediums dictate these things. And, and you know, and the same for acting. I, I like the idea as an actor for film of of making something that's that's uh, set, somewhat permanent. But theater is is great because you take a journey in time in front of an audience. Yeah, you get to be in the same room, sharing the same air and the same space, and living kind of through the experience in real time together. Yeah, yeah. You know, film has its its own challenges, and there is an audience. I mean, there's right. a direct, the entire camera there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's and, you know, and the camera itself is an audience, and and I've always just like felt that presence of it, and that informs the performance, and you know, it makes you rise to the occasion. And there's also, you know, in film, as most people know, it's not 
shot in sequence. So you might have a, whether it's a short film with a few scenes or, you know, a 90 page script, there's a, a skill, a challenge to, which also comes from your, your theater training is how do you break down a script? So, you know, where you're supposed to be in your arc. And then it doesn't yeah. matter if you start on page 45, you look at that scene and go, okay, this is where I am. This is my objective in the scene. And it can be done. And, and I, I enjoy that challenge too. At the time this episode will drop in a couple of weeks, we will be, have been in COVID shutdown for exactly a year. So what sort of quarantine advice would you like to offer our audience? Put on underwear at the beginning of the day. <laughs> you will feel accomplished. Clean underwear. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you have them, yes. Well, I would say this. There's light at the end of the tunnel right now. There's light at the end of the tunnel. These vaccines are coming. They're ramping up. Things are getting organized. And I got my first one yesterday, which would be when we recorded this, uh, March 1st. Next one comes in three weeks. You know, that, for me, the hardest, being the kind of artist I am, I probably can isolate quarantine better than most. But I'm done with it. But I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm done with really is the, the feeling of the threat outside the door. The, yeah, it's, that's a lot know, of stress I, to live under. Yeah, wearing a mask doesn't bother me. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'd rather not. But, you know, what do you, you know, you put it on from your apartment to the car, you take it off, you put it on and you go in the store, you, that's it. But, you know, I think the little things are going to are gonna be uh, great to get back to having, you know, let's just go to a restaurant, you know, to, you know, worry about a million things. I mean, it's going to be a gradual return. It's not the end of World War II. You know, we're going to be kissing in the middle of Times Square. It, every, different places are going to open up more, you know, more slowly. P diff, you know, people are going to get vaccines at different times. I happen to be able to get one now because I'm a teacher. Pedal to the metal. We're not done yet. No, <clears throat> no. Sadly, uh, sadly, we're not. And especially in theater, the long-term changes are going to be really interesting to see like one who survives two now that we've all started doing uh, zoom theater and OBS streaming and things like that. How much of that will continue to be a part of theater companies productions and therefore our lives as artists. And all of us are so looking forward to being back in a theater together that that's going to be, I think quite emotional for people when that is oh, actually yeah, yeah, able yeah. to happen, but yeah, we're yeah, still away away from that too. Sure, yeah, especially theater folk. We love to hug and kiss and all that. Uh, you don't, know, but most people do. But uh, <laughs> yeah, not but, me. Um, That's why he said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most theater people do. They are hugging. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but but I mean, I just think of simple things like readings that we've we've been yeah. doing fortunately we've been doing this this last year like it, it there's a, i mean it's interesting because you know we usually get together and, and do readings and you know you might invite an audience and you know you get a you know get a few people to come in and, and check it out but uh but now we have been able to read and record them and broadcast them live so mm -hmm. the potential for a larger audience is is there but there's also the, you know, the hiccups. I mean, we, you know, we just uh, what I did, what I thought was just a really nice reading of No Coward's Hay Fever a few days back. But it's 
you know, oh my God, is my audio going to hold up? Am, is, am I going to get kicked off my Wi-Fi and off of Zoom? So right. you obviously don't have those things when you're sitting in a room with everybody. No, it is. Yeah. Uh, It's like I said, with the reading, we're all beholden to the tech and internet gods. And at this point, we just know there are going to be glitches. And it's part of embracing this live experience, the same as you would if you were in a theater and on a stage, and you dropped the glass you were drinking out of or tripped over the rug, like stuff happens. You just have to roll with it. For me, I think one of the nice things about being able to do this stuff on live is like you said, you can reach a wider audience. Like we've had some great fun since we're all from the East coast, like our friends and family back on the East coast have been able to see some of what we've been doing, but also making things more accessible to people. So people with physical handicaps who might not be able to come into the theater or we can post things with captions, live captioning, which is also really awesome. So I think it will be a part of our, and theater in general's operating procedures from from now on. And it just will be in addition to that wonderful live theater performance that we all miss so much. Now is the time. This is something we do with the Infinite Jest members we interview here on The Jest. This is our rapid round questions. So I'm going to ask you 10 quick questions for 10 quick responses. So don't think. Okay. Just go up. Go with your gut, Doug. Go with your gut. Easy. Easy. <laughs> easy to do. Comedy or tragedy? Comedy. Favorite hair band? Um, Van Halen. <laughs> if you want to call it that, but all right. I'll, I'll slice and dice hair bands and rock, hard rock and heavy metal all day long, but all right, go. No, actually, you know what? Lethal injection, but we can come back to that if you want. (laughs) (laughs) What do you find funny? Jeez. Uh, Wordy character films. My favorite, one of my favorite movies is Sideways. That's my jam, my sense of humor, that kind of stuff. Who is the best guitarist of all time? Oh, you can't, you can't, you can't do that, but you can, I'll give you my, I'll give you my top, top, you know, there's all different categories. So much for so much for the rapid fire round. But I'll give you my favorites: Pat Metheny, Scott Henderson, Joe DiRio, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai, Alan Holdsworth. There you go. Musical or straight play? Oof, I'm in it. Straight play. Who's your favorite actor or actress? Oof, Blanchett's really up there. Kate Blanchett, uh, yeah, she's one. Yeah, my, my, Mark Rylance, though, I saw him in New York in a play called Jerusalem in 2009, and I hadn't seen him in, in person, um, acting teacher of mine at Shakespeare Theater. Somebody else, too. P- two people I respected said, you got to see this guy. He's off the charts. He is, and, yeah. And I got to see incredible. him uh, play Iago when I was in London a couple of years ago. Oh, it was wow. awesome. What's the best thing about living in Los Angeles? Uh, the culture. Multi, multi, uh, uh, diverse lots of stuff to do you know we export our movie and our culture all over the world it's a great place what is a question you hate being asked (laughs) oh i know there are some i know there are oh uh i don't know there's gotta be i know there's like i don't know i i don't know (laughs) there's definitely there's category there's definitely i know it's like it's there it's not coming to i guess my my thinking brain's on oh yeah 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 What's your favorite kind? What's your favorite kind of music to play? I hate that question. 
What's your, well, what's, your, what's your favorite music, Aziz? I hate that question. Okay. So what's your favorite musical? <laughs> I just meant to ask what my favorite music is. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess Scarlet Pit right now. I just get, it's so funny. It's so funny. Uh, I just, no, that's not the right, I know that's not the right answer, but I don't care. There is no wrong answer. I mean, I'm saying to musical theater aficionados, they'd be like, come on, dude, there's better ones than that. But I don't it's know. Art. It's art. It's all subjective. Last question. Do you have a hidden talent? Oh, hidden. No, I don't have any hidden ones. I've exposed them all to the world. I was going to say, you know, Doug doesn't play like many things, deep, dark secrets, close to the, close to the vest kind of guy. He's not, he's not that guy. No, I, I, uh, no, I don't. I, um, I don't have any hobbies either. Everything that, you know, you would think would be a hobby. I've turned into a profession. Right. You know? Yeah. So of some kind, if, if, if you call this making a living. (laughs) It is tough being an artist and um, making a career of it. And anyone was in doubt of that. They just need to listen to this podcast and listen to how multi hyphenate you are in your pursuit of a career in the arts. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, teaching is a big part of that uh, for me, which is a, is, is really rewarding. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm doing a, uh, I'm teaching a new course at AMDA this, this next coming semester, which starts next week or probably the day after this podcast drops or something. And it is all about kind of this journey that we take as artists. It's for students who are in their seventh semester, they're one semester away from graduating with their BFA. You know, for me, maybe, maybe a lot of this has to do with my generation, but all the things that I've mentioning earlier with editing and writing and all the things I picked up along the way is often, you know, it's, it's been a, a matter of, of trying to, create content or just be artistic and make your own mm-hmm. things. And this course that I'm teaching is kind of compressing that and making a curriculum item out of it. So yeah, so I think some of us generational, I think artists too. I, I've kind of found with my students over the years, you know, we have this assumption that, Oh geez, if you know, if you grew up with the internet, then you must, everybody's grown up with the internet and was born into it is good at it, but they're not. It's there's, I literally not, have 18 no. 18-year-olds go, oh, I'm not very technical, you know? <laughs> and so I remember the first time hearing that, I mean, oh, I thought you all were. But it is, uh, it's more of a human proclivity or not that you have. But, you know, some, you know, some artists are more interpretive artists, you know, actors or, or, um, or, or singers or whatever that will their, their whole life interpret other people's material, which is, which is, awesome and others tend to generate their own i hate to say content because it's so but that's i mean that's what we say it's content yeah yeah but it's, it sounds so markety what's my <laughs> brand it's my brand and then but that's, that, that's, that's def- all part of the business <clears throat> it is it is i don't i don't i don't subscribe to them maybe i'd be further along if i subscribe to some of that but that's one thing i want to talk about in my classes i don't want i don't want to hear about your brand i want to hear about you i want to hear about your vision as an artist, yeah. If you want to learn marketing, I'm not. Don't come to me. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just chafe at, at making everything we do a commodity and trying to monetize everything. It's, it's. <clears throat> there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of heart in that. And I think that, uh, I mean, one thing this this pandemic has shown me is what did everybody do as soon as everything shut down? They turned to artists. They turned their TVs on. 
and right. let actors and writers and directors and producers and gaffers and all these people come into their homes and, and serve them. We're, yeah. you know, in our, in our country, in our culture, we pretend, uh, at least with our, our dollars and our legislation that these, uh, you know, that the arts don't matter. But when push comes to shove, they're, they're vital. Essential. Yeah, yeah, they're essential. And it's time we start treating them like that. Yeah. Uh, I've lived my whole life without an accountant, but I bet he hasn't lived his whole life without an actor and a musician. <laughs> and, and he, <laughs> or picking up a book or <clears throat> having a painting or a photograph or a something. I mean, music. Yeah. There's so many ways that our society and our daily lives are impacted by the arts. And we, in this country, treat them as less than and that is shown by the fact that, like you said, we all turned to the artists during the pandemic to keep us entertained and sane and comforted. And it's time that we change legislation and perhaps where our tax dollars go to sh- uh, better reflect just how important and vital all of the arts are in all of our lives. So we've talked about it a little bit, dropped some hints as we've chatted today, but what projects are you currently working on? Well, I am currently, uh, actually, uh, right before we got on this call, I literally finished a pass on a rough mix of a 15-minute short film that uh, I'm working on. It's actually not my film, but someone hired me to edit it a few months ago, and then I've returned to it now to do all the post sounds. So the dialogue edit, the sound effects, the Foley, uh, the mix. And I imagine by next week, we'll be getting into the uh, score and all the source music and stuff. So that's fun. I enjoy doing that. New semester coming up, of course, at Little Fish Theater on uh, this coming weekend, the Pick of the Vine launches. I was in two of those shorts. And for Infinite Jest, we have in a few weeks in April, coming up a, a reading of a one of my screenplays, yes. comedy screenplay. And since you you mentioned it, but you didn't you didn't tag it right here. Do you want to tell folks about Lethal Injection? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, Colette uh, asked me what was my favorite hair band, and uh, so Lethal Injection. Obviously, you've never heard of them, but if you go to because they don't they're not real. But if you go to YouTube and you were to type Doug Mattingly, probably Lethal Injection, Glam, uh, a couple songs on there. One's called Ride the Rocket, Spray It, Don't Say It, <laughs> um, <laughs> Abuse It or Lose It is another one. I, I made I made a couple. I made some videos. Very, very classy it. stuff here. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, it's it's all in the tradition of the '80s hair band. It's not just some weird vanity project where I wear a wig. Although it, there is some of that. It is actually um, a, a, a couple years ago now, I wrote a pilot and nine subsequent episodes of a, um, of a TV show, an episodic, set in the 1980s that is about a jazz guitar playing New York-based dad and who lives, uh, who had his ailing bigoted father lives with him. And his daughter is about to go off to college, his very bright daughter. And the lead singer of the band, Lethal Injection, dies. And they're looking for a new singer. And his daughter encourages him to audition for this band. And of course, he's like, look, I don't even sing. This is 
weird metal music. I'm a jazz player. What are you talking about? Uh, but his back gets against the wall financially. And uh, by the end of the, uh, the the pilot, he's auditioning for the, the band. And obviously he gets in. So he's, you know, the guys in the band are in their 20s. He's uh, he's old enough to be their dad. So he it's one of these glam bands like Poison or Motley Crue that wears makeup. So he hides behind the makeup trying to fool everybody that he's, uh, you know, that he's in his 20s. But he's got a few secrets, one of not not the least of which he's he's in debt to a, 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 a neighborhood uh, minor mob figure. So so he's got he's got some things he's got. It's a comedy. It's a comedy and, and, and with some drama to it. So I wrote the whole first season. So I've got a, a, a very good idea of where everything goes. So the band and its lethal ejection is part part of a um, kind of a proof of concept. I made a made some uh, music videos. Now, the first one was Ride the Rocket. And then after that, I got a couple summers ago. So, uh, you know, I, I wrote all 12 songs for their album. I just went through the script and of the ten of the ten episodes, and it's like, yeah, twelve songs are in here. I better write them all. I always I always hate when I see a movie that's based on you know that has a band in it, and they only play one song. You only ever hear the one song. I'm like, come on, right. you got to build. Yeah. You got to build. You got to build that world. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and and the songs are I know the titles are are kind of funny. So as I wrote the lyrics, it was always ninety eight percent of this could be a real hair band song lyric from the eighties, and then there'll be a line that pushes it over the edge into kind of you know, that's a little silly, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, we'll, hopefully we'll we'll get to to make that show because. It's it's fun. Yeah, my dad. The idea of it was uh, the very kind of seed of it was my father's idea, and um, he said we were talking on the phone, and he said, you know, he you know he's always in my corner, and he wants me to try you know use the 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 talents that I have, and well, how can you combine music and acting? He said, what about if there was like a you know a guy who's in a rock band, uh, but uh, but he plays classical music at night or something? I said, well, you know what? I said, you know what? What about what about if it's a metal band in the eighties and the thing is he's a jazz guy and he's trying to hide the rock thing from the jazz guys or his jazz world, because that'll fall apart, you know, because right. of the snobbery of that, which I'm, yeah. which I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with all those worlds. So that was, that was where it, it came from. And we actually, uh, my dad did the, I've had a bunch of stuff going on. I think we, even with IJ, I said, well, why don't you just write the pilot to do a first draft? And he, and he did. And uh, and then I kind of took it from there, and but it was fun. We we spent we spent a, a a good good week texting ridiculous band names back and forth as to what the, what their. <laughs> oh, what I bet that were. would be a text thread to uh, follow. <laughs> I saved it. I saved it. I have all those. Matter of okay. fact, I used some of them throughout the pilot for or throughout the first season for other band names. I can't remember any of them right now. <laughs> Yeah, there's some silly ones. So how Le- can oh, people- oh, Leather Wolf. Well, Leather Wolf was one. <laughs> Sorry. Leather Wolf. All right. Leather Wolf, I believe. Was one. I, I think Lethal Injection <clears throat> was uh, better. So good choice. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah. And, you know, it goes along with the whole, the costume. They you got, they're, they're kind of, they're, their costumes are stylized prison guard uniforms with spandex. 
But you can see that if you look at the videos, you'll, you'll see it. There's handcuffs and a whistle and all kinds of stuff on them, a badge. <laughs> How can people find you online? What's your social media handles and your website? My website is DougMattingly.com, M-A-T-T-I-N-G-L-Y.com. I'm on Instagram, Doug Mattingly, and that's my only social media. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. It was good to see you, at least virtually. You too. (laughs) For more information on how you can watch our reading of Doug's new screenplay, Better Luck Next Year, on April 24th, or on how to tune in to our ongoing classic comedy reading series, visit us online at www.infinitejesttheatercompany.org or you can find us on social at ingest theater again with an re you can also follow the hashtag the jest podcast for all the latest updates on this podcast 